in a world of dragons, wizards, and magic, lived a simple ranger who just wanted to get paid. Linus Weedwhacker is out of retirement and ready to slay some monsters. If only he wasn't stuck with a party of newbies. Will they become legends or will they become lunch? Kobolds and dragons can be fought with the sword, but what works against a corrupt union? From novelist Monica Marrier, author of Crit, Skeleton Crew, and The Handbook for Saucy Bards, comes a new comedic fantasy novel where the mentor is the hero, whether he likes it or not. Must love dragons. Now on Kickstarter. Bum bum bottom, 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 you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, two years after we discussed Brian K. Vaughn's and Fiona Staples' saga, we return to Marco and Alana launching our next couple session series, and applying Helen Russell's How to Be Sad to their relationship woes. Yeah, 2022 has been an absolutely insane year for comic book couples counseling so far. Bonkers, bonkers, and it's only (laughs) February. Yeah, and also kind of somewhat atypical for us. We began the year by looking backward on 2021, releasing two massive best of episodes featuring various guest stars from AIPT Comics, Newsarama, Entertainment Weekly, and the Tencent Takes podcast, and like a ton more. Uh, After that, we did a month's worth of unbelievable Creator Corner interviews with cats like Warwick Johnson Cadwell, Mark Siegel, Scotty Young, and Garth Ennis. Unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, oh yeah, Lisa, Dolph Lundgren swung by for a chat. Somebody's favorite Punisher, no spoilers. No spoilers, but if Mm. you listen to one of those interviews, you'll learn. (laughs) But now it's time to get back to what we do best, Comic book couples counseling. Oh, yeah. Uh, and by what we do best, as in something we are not at all qualified to do, but we do it anyway. And you know what? Look at our couch, Brad. It's getting dusty. We haven't had a couple on it in a long time. Yeah, yeah. I did a quick little, like, mop of the couch, Lisa. <laughs> you took, well, like, one of those big, like, fly swatter things and you spank, spank, spanked it. That's right. <laughs> Over the course of the next month, we're going to cover Saga Volumes 5 through 9, or, or should we say five to the present? Uh, yeah, we probably will cover the last couple of issues that recently launched. If you want to go back and listen to our earlier Saga episodes, you can find the links in our show notes for volumes one through four. But be warned, we did those episodes <laughs> in 2019. They were actually the third couple we covered after Scott Summers and Jean Grey and Big Barda and Scott Free. And um, we were we were new at the whole like podcasting about comics thing. Yeah, there's gonna be some growing pains there. It was a totally different world as well. <laughs> uh, we went back and listened to them 
a couple days ago, and they made it a little cringy for us. Mm. But I've also heard from listeners who've gone back and listened to them and really enjoyed them. So I'm going to put my faith in them that they're solid episodes. And completely listenable. But after we finished our Saga Volume 4 conversation, we said we wanted to take a break. We love Saga, but Saga is a lot emotionally. You end up feeling like a ringed-out washcloth. Right. Just on the side of the tub. The plan was to return to these characters after Vaughn and Staples wrapped up their hiatus, and as you all know, that took a little longer than they originally told us. Three and a half years. But now Saga is back, and so are we. What took so long? Well, after delivering 55 issues and concluding an epic bummer (laughs) of a cliffhanger, no spoilers, Lisa will be playing catch-up right here on the podcast. Yes, I will. She knows the big spoiler, but she doesn't know how the details of that spoiler come together. But anyway, after such a massive cliffhanger, Vaughn and Staples needed a mental break. Staples told Entertainment Weekly back in 2018 that she was experiencing a mild burnout. They needed to step back and take a breath. Then they wanted to get a jump on the book a bit, and then global pandemic, then more life, and then, and then, and then. Vaughn was playing in and around Hollywoodland. The Runaway Show just wrapped up. The Why the Last Man series came out and went and may come again, fingers crossed. Paper Girls is gearing up for a Hollywood production. He's working on an untitled Gundam project. What? What? I, I, I need to know more immediately. And Lisa, he's doing a mask movie, as in Mobile Armored Strike Command, one of my all-time favorite cartoons and toy lines. I have no idea what that is. I'm going to show you the opening credits to Mask. You should all go to YouTube okay. and watch the opening credits to Mask. It's rad. Uh, but Vaughn also promises that Saga will be his primary focus for a bit. Staples and him are going to go back into their old pattern of giving us an arc in a burst, taking a mini break, and then another arc in a burst. He's also revealed that Saga will end with issue 108. So yeah, it's time for us to catch up here on the show. Just in case you need a refresher course and you're not going to go back and listen to our four previous Saga episodes, here's a quick and handy previously on recap regarding where our characters are at the start of Volume 5. Previously on Saga. (laughs) Wayne's World! Wayne's World! Party time! Excellent! Excellent. (laughs) At the beginning of Volume 5, Alana and Marco are separated. Towards the end of Volume 4, they were living a quiet suburban life on Gardenia where they got into an argument over Alana's use of the drug Fadeaway, and Alana accused Marco of having an affair with Ginny, Hazel's dance instructor. There's a moment where you think they'll break up, but they come to their senses separately but before they can reconcile, Dengo hijacks the treehouse, effectively kidnapping Alana, Marco's mom Clara, and Hazel. Dun dun dun! Dengo also has Robot 4's infant son Bjorn to his torso. Who is Dengo? Well, Prince Robot 4 was recovering from a brain reboot, and Dengo, his janitor, assassinated Robot 4's wife and kidnapped their child. Dengo is motivated by revenge on the Blue Bloods for enriching themselves off of the war between Landfall and Wreath, while the lower classes don't even have access to adequate healthcare. Dengo's son died of a curable disease. Dun, dun, dun! 
At the top of volume five, the treehouse has landed in a snowy region of an unknown planet where the sun never sets, so Isabel, their ghost nanny, is inaccessible. Dun, dun, dun. As a means to reunite with his family and in hopes that they'll take him back, Marco has made an uneasy alliance with Prince Robot 4, Yuma, and Goose, and they all are cooped up together in what was previously the Stock's old spaceship. Dun, dun, dun. In another corner of the galaxy, <laughs> Gwendolyn, Marco's ex-fiance from Wreath, tracked down the will, the assassin, to motivate him to complete his job of killing Marco, Alana, and Hazel. But then they got sidetracked by rescuing Sophie, a six-year-old sex slave on Sextillion, because she has the power to psychically track Alana's translator ring, while hiding out on a planet whose atmosphere has hallucinogenic properties, Sophie attacks the will, causing an injury that can only be cured with dragon sperm. Yes, <laughs> dragon sperm. They partner with the will's sister, the brand, and off they go sploogey hunting. Dun dun splooge! <laughs> no, I never want to hear a dun 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 <laughs> with a splooge. Oh, I might just throw it in later to, uh, no. to get your goose. Oh, God, no. Uh, so right now we've got Marco and Alana in our waiting room. We're going to let them in. But guys, if you don't know this already, we're not experts. Just experts in loving each other and reading comic books. We need a little help sorting out these two sci-fi lovebirds, and we're consulting Helen Russell and her book, How to Be Sad. So Lisa, it's your turn. How, how is this love expert going to help these two crazy kids? Well, since they're meet cute on the Landfallian prison compound on Cleve, Marco and Alana have been in full-on crisis mode. <laughs> and while we've seen them both experience profound happiness, both in their relationship with each other and in their relationship with Hazel, they do have a lot to be sad about. So much sadness. I have a lot to be <laughs> sad about. Yeah, this is also partially self-serving because while I personally have not read ahead, I have been spoiled enough to know that it is going to get real sad for us as well. But like the other thing about Saga is it is peppered with horror and sadness. Like even without the spoiler, which we're talking around, it is still a profoundly sad adventure. Therefore, our relationship expert for Marco and Alana is Helen Russell, using her new book, complete title, How to Be Sad, Everything I've Learned About Getting Happier by Being Sad. Because if experiencing sadness pays dividends of being happier, then Marco and Alana can potentially be the two happiest mofos in the universe. And by mofos, I mean mother and father. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, Lisa. Yeah, yep, spoiler again, spoiler. <laughs> Helen Russell is a Danish author, journalist, and speaker. Her 2015 book, A Year of Living Danishly, was an international bestseller and is credited for kicking off the Hygge trend. Brad, have you heard of Hygge? I have, thanks to my Barnes & Noble career. Career. Then define it, Brad. What is Hugo? Uh, I mean, I'm aware of it. I don't <laughs> think I could actually define it because I, I previously did not care. It is the Danish, it's like Danish feng shui, but um, instead of getting you successful, it gets you like really cozy. Oh, well, I should get familiar with it because I love being cozy. <laughs> I was trying to think of like who, like what comic book couple could we use 
like the year of living Danishly. Like uh, who could benefit from getting real cozy? A, a real cozy? I mean, I think a lot of the, I, I would love to see Rogan Gambit get cozy, right? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, because like touch has been such a, a, a barrier between them for so long in their career. I was their thinking, career, their relationship. <laughs> I was thinking like Batman could use a couple of like throws around the Batcave or something, like a nice, like a throw The relationship a... between Alfred and Bruce Wayne. I like that a lot. Yeah. I first heard about Helen Russell on one of my favorite self-helpy podcasts, The Happiness Lab, hosted by cognitive scientist and Yale professor of psychology, Dr. Lori Santos. Russell was promoting how to be sad, and she caught my attention when she said that our cultural sadness phobia had a greater negative impact on our physical and mental health than the emotion of sadness itself. I mean, I like that thinking. I think that's, yeah. We have all heard the research that negative emotions have an impact on our health. One that pops to mind for me is that prolonged stress will release cortisol that will eventually lead to heart disease, which is terrible news to me, considering that I have an anxiety disorder. And it's bad enough that I'm worried all the time, and now I have to worry about that that worry is going to make my heart explode. But Russell submits that we are operating under the false assumption that our baseline emotion should be happiness all the time. And anything that deviates from happiness needs to be treated like an emergency needing immediate correction, Mm. regardless of the circumstances. Like being sad under any circumstance is wrong or dysfunctional. She referred to a study by a team of American and Japanese researchers published in Psychological Science that compared the impact of negative emotions on the physical and mental health of Americans versus Japanese. They were operating under the premise that in American culture, we see negative emotions as a personal failure and harmful, while in Japanese culture, negative emotions are the product of having meaningful relationships Mm. and a natural part of life. They found that negative emotions were a greater predictor of ill health in Americans versus Japanese. Mm. Their conclusion was that more research needs to be done in this area. But Helen Russell points out that it can be inferred that it is our attitude towards being sad that makes us sicker rather than the sadness itself. I like that thinking. It feels true to me. <laughs> but it's not true unle- until we get more research. Right, right, right. It's right, just right, a right. theory. I like I, theories, though. Me too. And I will base entire life philosophies on them, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is irresponsible. And again, it applies so well to Marco and Alana and our experience with Saga as readers. I was able to find the study online, so you can put a link in the show notes. Oh, no. I got to write a note. Homework now. In her book, How to Be Sad, Helen Russell says that it is time for us to stop seeing sadness as a fire that needs to be put out and instead see sadness as a signal flare. Our emotions are what tell us that something needs to be considered. And by avoiding feeling sadness, we're actually missing out on the lesson that emotion is trying to teach us. Yeah, rock on. I love this. Yeah, I know. Like, Brad, do you ever judge yourself for having a negative emotion? Oh, of course. You know, uh, I call it the stink. And oftentimes when I'm in a sulking mood, I have to blow the stink off Mm -hmm. and leave the apartment because if I stay in the apartment with that sadness and I just drill down on that sadness, I start to like really dislike who I am in that moment and I got to escape. Yeah, because we're treating like, not only do I have this problem that's making me sad, now I also have the sadness that is the problem. So we end up just kind of spiraling downward and really 
and and hating ourselves, yes, judging ourselves. For sure. Helen Russell is not a psychologist herself, but she has dedicated her writing career to researching emotions, perhaps in an attempt to override some of that cultural programming. She includes a lot of research with citations, as well as interviews with experts, psychologists, neuropharmacologists, grief counselors, geneticists, psychotherapists, neuroscience doctors, and dietitians. And she reminds me a lot of Gretchen Rubin and Brene Brown. You love someone who cites their sources. We've had issues with that in the past. You get the sense that her research journey was as much for her own edification, Mm. and she's kind of like inviting us along her journey. How to Be Sad is as much a memoir as it is a self-help book. Helen Russell's earliest childhood memory was her baby sister dying of sudden infant death syndrome. Mm. And the book is an exploration about how anti-sadness culture may have actually prolonged her grief and Mm. the grief of her parents who eventually split up. Tragic. In the book, she applies her research into sadness to her own life to better empathize with her parents and her past self in hopes that she can reap the benefits of life's inevitable sadness in the future. The bulk of How to Be Sad is made up of three parts. One, how to look at ourselves when we're sad. Two, how to talk about being sad. And three, stuff to do when you're sad. In this session with Marco and Alana, we're just going to be using the material in the introduction to help acclimate them to the idea of embracing their sadness. Hmm. Embracing sadness is a scary, intimidating thing, especially when they already have so much on their plate. Sure, yeah. Helen Russell defines sadness as the natural response to emotional pain, feeling of loss, helplessness, hopelessness, or disappointment. And it is totally normal, inevitable, and if you do it right, beneficial. Russell includes a study from the University of New South Wales that shows that a temporary negative effect, aka bad mood, actually sharpens memory, decreases errors in judgment, motivates us, and, get this, improves our interpersonal relations, suggesting that sadness actually makes us more externally aware and primes us for being with others. Yeah, okay. It's like a hunger pang for human connection. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I'm loving all of this. The, I also put a link of this, this study to go into the uh, show notes. I'll, I, I've made a note. I'm making a note on the note. Because of our cultural sadness phobia, we have taught each other to retreat rather than reach out. We don't like to be seen as sad, and we certainly don't want to get our sadness on anyone else. Sadness gets mixed up with other emotions like embarrassment, that we Mm. let ourselves get sad, frustration, that our willpower couldn't keep ourselves from getting Mm. sad, and anger that we were put in the position of being sad in the first place. Fear of sadness has us turning to coping mechanisms that actually cut us off from all emotions and limit us to safer, seemingly sadness-proof actions. Saddle up, Brad, because I am loading up for a bulleted list of the most common ways we try and fail to avoid sadness. All right, let me put on my uh, bulletproof armor. (laughs) Patow! Avoid getting close to others. By getting close to others, we open up to rejection, heartache, disappointment, and grief. Patow! Avoid meaningful goals. Having a goal means opening yourself up to failure, and that doesn't feel safe. Patow! Using substances to numb us out. This can include drugs and alcohol, but also disordered eating. Patow! 
staying busy, loading up that schedule with work, activities, etc. Patel, staying distracted. She mentions scrolling through social media and other activities that hit that dopamine buzzer without actually enriching you in any way. Hel- That's the end. Oh, you're, good. You're st- <laughs> I survived. I survived that bulleted list. Helen Russell does distinguish the difference between circumstantial sadness versus clinical depression. I don't think I can do the topic justice here, but I will put it out there that the World Health Organization defines clinical depression as a persistent lack of interest or pleasure in previously rewarding or enjoyable activities. Depression often disturbs sleep and appetite, which results in poor concentration. Helen Russell does say that prolonged and unaddressed sadness can present like clinical depression, but I'm not sure that saying that sadness is circumstantial and depression is not. I have a history of clinical depression, and I always felt that my sadness had circumstances. Mm. If you feel at all like you may have clinical depression, please go see a doctor. It doesn't have to be a psychiatrist or specialist right away. You can go to an urgent care or general practitioner, and they will put you in the right direction. I know that mine did. For this first session, I think we should be observing the ways that Marco and Alana are dealing with their sadness, be it healthfully through human connection or harmfully by isolating themselves and severing themselves from their full range of emotion. Mm, Yeah, okay. I think this is going to be a really great series of episodes, Lisa. But before we can do that, we got to get into those words of affirmation. No, no, no. So for first-time listeners, uh, the words of affirmation are a way that we give back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. We curate and use these ourselves, and we're more than happy to pass them on to you. These quotes come from Saga Volume 5 and John Cena's book, Be a Work in Progress. So that we're in the state of mind to receive these words of affirmation, we have to take a deep breath and calm down, and we're ready to begin. Stephen Bolt. You know that a fella is more than his worst three days. James Senor. Each new person you welcome into your hearts is a chance to evolve into something radically different than we used to be. Scott. You have to be brave before you can be good. Dustin Taylor. You never outgrow being thankful. Cuddles and rage. You do the work, commit to purpose, constantly evolve, and never give up. Yeah. Mm. That John Cena book, I really enjoyed it. You caught it uh, on an end cap at Barnes & Noble, and you picked it up, and it's like, it's pretty thin. It's, (laughs) It's... and there's not like a ton of content in it. It's literally just a, a book of quotes or affirmations to his past self. A lot of them, be warned, a lot of them do have the subtext of like, just get to the gym and do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, those don't speak to me particularly. But I do think that there are little nuggets of wisdom yeah, in there. Yeah, I think we're going to be uh, consulting it on a regular basis. And I, I actually think we could probably use it as a self-help guide for a future couple, maybe. Yeah, I think for a one-pod stand. I don't know if there's necessarily enough 
substance there to do like an entire like four arc series sure sure but uh there you go thank you to our patrons you make this show possible of course we don't expect all listeners to join our patreon community there are other ways that you can support us a five-star review on apple Podcasts goes a long way for us reaching more listeners and honestly what you write in the reviews when it's nice and sweet and kind really really makes us feel good yeah shout out to guitar villain with a epic review that they left our 260th review thank you pretty wild so if you're feeling generous and you want to deliver some kind words of affirmation to brad and lisa we would certainly appreciate it Alrighty, i think it is time to bring in marco and alana from the waiting room and put them into session we are discussing saga issues 25 through 30 which were collected in trade paperback volume number Five, written by Brian K. Vaughn, fully illustrated by Fiona Staples, and lettered by Phonographics. The issues were originally published between February 2015 and July 2015, and here's the basic plot synopsis taken from Goodreads. Multiple storylines collide in this cosmos-spanning new volume. While Gwendolyn and Lion Cat risk everything to find a cure for the will, Marco makes an uneasy alliance with Prince Robot 4 to find their missing children, who are trapped on a strange world with terrifying new enemies. No mention of Alana in that. No Alana whatsoever. How dare they? Every time I read those plot synopses, I think of myself using the Starship Troopers, like World War II newsreel <laughs> voice, uh, but I can't quite replicate it. Neither of us have very many voices at our disposal. <laughs> this is just us. <laughs> I do wish Saga had chapter titles, you know, for their volumes, the way that like Sandman, right? We're reading that on the Patreon right now. And you have like the doll's house and in the doll's house storyline, that's Rose Walker's introduction, right? I, I, I find it hard to think of saga in terms of arcs and my brain likes to go to arcs. Mm -hmm. Now, Dallas comics on Twitter referred to volume five jokingly as Dengo Unchained. <laughs> and I really love that. So from now on, I'm calling Saga Volume 5 Dengo Unchained. I love it. As I was typing up my notes for this volume, I had to keep taking out the J. Uh, like, I, I was yeah. just automatically typing it in. Right, right, right. I, like in rereading this storyline, knowing where Dengo's future resides, his horrible ending. Uh, I, I was so sad because in the short period of time that Dengo is in the comic, I really gravitated towards him and his sad story in particular as it's reflected against what Marco and Alana are trying to do as parents, right? Like they could easily wind up like Dengo and like this book became so much about Dango, even though, again, he's like such a small piece in it. And Dango is such an interesting character to think of in terms of his sadness, in terms of his grief, because he is so hyper focused on avenging his son who died in this terrible and totally preventable way that he's completely lost himself yeah. like he's lost the value of life he's he's putting like hazel now at 
in danger and she is equally as innocent yeah. as his child. Yeah, and that is something that has happened to Marco just in the last volume and to Alana in just the last volume. I just get the impression from Dango that like he came up in this intensely oppressive system and his existence is just at the bottom of that. Mm -hmm. And having the opportunity to have a family and to have a child mm -hmm. made it somewhat bearable for him. Yeah. It gave him some hope and some sense of fairness. And distraction from the greater horrors beyond him. Exactly. So when his son is taken away from him because of this broken system. Not only does he have the grief of losing his child, he also has the grief of the life he never got to have because of the context he has been living in. And all of that injustice and rage just turns him into this kind of like meat grinder of violence. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that this particular volume is all about the collateral damage that occurs when two factions go to war. Uh, and what you see here is how that conflict infects everything. And Dengo is that collateral damage in one person. And if we go to the start of this arc, at the very beginning, it goes through what this war is doing to the universe. And I really like starting this storyline here with the shockwaves. And we're seeing these series of images where the war is being sold to the children and some are falling into it. Alana buys into the propaganda and joins up. But then other people, they're allowed to just enjoy their daily lives because the conflict has gone so far away from their home planet. They can party and go to the dance clubs and watch movies and play video games. Meanwhile, people like Dengo are dying. The way volume five opens with this history of war on landfall, like they do have their traumatic period of the war. Like we have these black and white images of, you know, soldiers and this mother wailing as she holds her child. But when we get to the scene of Alana being felt up in a car and then, you know, her peers like being at the beach dancing or playing video games. Um, we're many decades removed right. from that initial trauma, but I still see those numbing behaviors of, mm. of we see young people immersing themselves in like video games with those headsets and and we see um here at the dance party they're they're distracting themselves we see a red solo cup right right, right yes like and then we also have this really moving image of a veteran who is outside on the streets alone pushing a cart and there are purple ribbons mm -hmm. on 
the yeah. lamppost. Right. So but, there's ribbons there, but are we taking care of our veterans who have come back too? Like the war has become an abstraction to them, where it's something that they want to put it on the back burner. Like they want to stand by the principles without having to deal with that grief. Yeah, it's the American experience with war, you know, like all of this stuff is are are images that we have seen uh, in our daily lives on the news. And then we but then we get this um, narration from Hazel saying, like, lucky them. At least they had the opportunity to numb out and abstract while her and her family are facing danger every day. And then we flip the page and we get this insight into how toddler Hazel is learning what death is and what grief is. And she's outside in the snow with Dango and she looks up at him and she's wearing this kind of burnt sienna coat. And she says, my grandpa made this coat for me when I was a baby. Yeah. It is so toasty and he's dead now where it's the her grandfather's death is part of the story of her being there and part of the story of her coat and part of the story of why she's warm and how the coat can be warm and he can be gone. And also in that idea is the notion that we survive based on the actions of our family members that came before. Mm. Like in her very toddler way, there is wisdom there that is percolating. The other aspect of this comic or this chapter that makes it so unique is that in volume four, Marco and Alana are emotionally distant, right? They are not connected in a way that they were previously. And then Alana is kidnapped along with Hazel by Dengo. So volume five, they are now physically separate. They are physically distant. And for a long time, I was worried like, well, you know, How much time are we going to have these characters be apart? And do I want a saga where these characters are going to be apart? And then later on, this comic is going to really make me question (laughs) that. Um, But what, what was your take on kind of the dual experiences that were going on between Alana and Marco in volume five? Even though they are so far apart from each other, their two experiences are similar in that at the moment they were physically separated, their relationship was in this ambiguous place Mm -hmm. and they know that the other person doesn't know where they stand. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like Alana, even though Marco did lash out at her physically, wants him to be part of the family. She wants to be reunited in him. And part of her survival is based on the idea that he is out there looking for her and looking for Hazel. Marco wants to reunite with them so that he can reconcile what he did, that he can make up for the harm that he has done and rejoin his family. 
And, you know, what they have is Hazel, right? Right. Which is something that Dengo does not have. And so they have a mission making sure that Hazel survives. And that mission unites them and gets them through the worry of their reconciliation that was interrupted. Other than that, though, the circumstances in the perspective of talking about like sadness and how they are processing sadness. They're both stuck in very different circumstances because Alana has this confidant in Clara and Clara in, in the previous issue, they've had kind of a contentious relationship Mm -hmm. and Alana had, had been immersed in Marco's world with Marco's family, Mm -hmm. but now it's been three months and you can see, even though they still bicker back and forth, them being captives together has really, they've really gained a certain amount of respect for each other. And they they have this true alliedness. There is an aspect to their relationship that I appreciate on the reread that I did not on the first go around. And that is that Clara is recently widowed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is a lot. Again, I'm really trying to... Uh, I, 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 oh, like I, I worry that people listening to this podcast don't know the big thing that's coming. So I don't necessarily want to spoil that either, but in dancing around it, I feel like I have spoiled that. Um, so I'm just going to stop talking, but their relationship now is significant in a way that it was not to me. Her when family, I was her family has gotten smaller and I feel the spoiler you are alluding to. And I do think that that is significant, but in the present moment, okay, yeah, if yeah, we yeah. place our, our feet on the ground where we are right now, like Alana is a, a vector to Hazel. So they, Alana and Clara are connected in that way. Yeah, I think what's interesting about it is that it is being narrated by Hazel from the future mm-hmm. and Hazel knows what the reader at this point does not know. And when you read this on a second pass, clearly Brian K. Vaughn knew where he was going. And like the foreshadowing of this moment is just so brutal in this arc with that specific relationship. I know, Brad, but we have to like leave that there. Fair, fair, fair. And stay in the present because we are in session. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Now, Marco sharing a very tight space with Prince Robot 4, who at every turn goes like, this this partnership goes as far as I get my son and then I'm killing you and your whole family. Right. And Yuma, yep. the woman who turned over his family to Dango. Yeah, and got his wife addicted on Fade Away. And Goose, yeah. who's like, what did I do? Right, yeah. But like, Marco has no allies. Mm. And if you think about like... And he doesn't have his child. Exactly. So we have this moment where he is getting very contentious with Prince Robot 4 and he lashes out at him physically and grabs him. And we know that Marco has this very... um, He has a violence problem. He's doing everything he can to like push down 
the rage side of his personality. At the start of Saga, he took a vow of nonviolence. Exactly. And and he's trying so hard to keep that vow. So he just steals himself away to his living quarters and he snuggles Hazel's doll and he just buries his face in this sweet um, toy. And when you think about sadness as a hunger pang for human connection, he just, there's just nowhere for his sadness to go. Mm. And so this whole story is, this whole arc for Marco is, is he going to give in to his worst self? Is he going to be violent? Is he going to seek vengeance? Or is he going to hold himself up to that ideal that he could hold up when he was with Alana and with his family most of the time? Yeah. Like, it, it's without that outlet, without someone to connect to or lean on, he just becomes his worst image of himself. And that comes to a head in the next issue, issue 26, where he has a violent encounter with someone robbing a convenience store. And he nearly beats that guy to death and Goose stops him. And when Goose stops him and he realizes like, oh my God, this is, I am descending into rage and murder. That puts him on a course to fade away. And he takes that drug and he goes into this really heinous nightmare sequence that opens the next issue 27 where it you know it starts in a very like provocative uh saga sexy way where he and Alana are having sex but she at some point transforms into Hazel's rag doll and then from the rag doll his father bursts forth like a chest burster and then that issue tumbles into this flashback of images of his childhood and all the violence that he has seen going all the way back to being hit by his dad with a belt. I think it's critical for us to take a moment to talk about why he decided, why he succumbed to taking the fade away in the first place. Because Yuma got the fade away off of the robber who happened to be a veteran from Wreath. Yeah, yeah, and, more collateral damage. And Marco found it astounding that anyone like him would take Fade away in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then he found himself curious, like, well, if someone like me could be compelled to take Fade away, then maybe Alana had a reason Mm -hmm. to take fate away. He has this moment of empathy. And he asks Yuma, like, how did you persuade? How did you convince Alana to take fate away? And she said, she asked for it. And he was like, really? Why? And she said, because she wanted peace. Yeah. And so finally he made that mental connection that fade away is an alternative to suffering. Yeah. And yeah. so it goes back to that numbing out thing. He doesn't have the option of human connection. What's the next best thing to isolate yourself out of your full range of emotions? Just take yourself out of 
out of reality altogether. And then he ends up taking himself tumbling down this like horrible road of his past memories. This is fantastic. You know, because the last time I read this, I had not really had any idea of the opioid crisis in this country. And since then, I've, uh, you know, done a little reading. I've watched a few documentaries. I just recently watched that Crimes of the Century documentary on HBO. And now reading Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples' take on Fade Away, I mean, that that is what's going on right now in America with the opioid crisis. It is that like escape, that necessary escape from the systems that have created so much suffering. To me, when I I uh, read this scene, it made me think of ayahuasca, mm, where it's a hallucinogenic that is um, associated with sacred rit rituals and is supposed to give you clarity mm -hmm. and is supposed to, uh, like, people who are on it ha have this kind of um, convalescence with the divine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think what makes Fade Away such an interesting drug is that it connects you to your own past, mm -hmm. which is what Marco has been trying to escape this entire time. And so he thought that he was going to get an escape from his suffering, but what he got instead was like a front row seat yes, to his suffering. Yes, a confrontation. And when he comes out of this experience, he goes like, oh, I have an answer. I have this moment of clarity, but it's not the moment of clarity he would have if he was with his wife and child. It also allows him to better understand Alana and what she was going through in volume four. And that starts him on a path of forgiving her and hopefully forgiving himself too. While Marco is on this hellish trip, Yuma is feeling really guilty that she sends him on this first trip with Fadeaway, and it's, I, I guess, some kind of tainted batch. Yeah. And um, Prince Robot 4 is like, why don't we just let him die? He was right. kind of getting annoying anyway. Right. And Goose is like, we're going to come up against some really, really bad people. And he wields magic. He is really, really scary. Oh, well, yeah, that's And <laughs> really violent. And we're probably going to want to use him later because I, I feel that he is capable of things even you are not capable of. Yeah, yeah. And so Prince Robot 4 ends up having to do this weirdly self-sacrificial and symbolic act of feeding this man from wreath his blood, because apparently his blood is emetic to most other quote unquote lower races. And when uh, Marco um, comes out and ha and wakes up with this, he has this like moment of clarity and Yuma is there and she's like, I am so, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I ever gave you that tainted batch. I, you know, like it was supposed to be this special and healing thing. And he's like, this is exactly what I needed. Uh -huh. This was the perfect thing. I now see the answer. I faced my past, my past and the answer is violence. I need to kill every person <laughs> oh. that is in my path between me and my family, which is 
exactly antithetical to yeah. any um like any goal he ever had like up until this point. Yeah, and the other thing about this sequence uh is knowing that Yuma is going to sacrifice herself. And the impression I get is the residual guilt over this experience with Marco is one of the things pushing her into that fiery grave. There is a, there is like a reconciliation aspect yeah. to that where she, the reason these families are separated is partially because of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... It is one of the best panels in this comic. Oh, I enjoy it oh, so when, much. When Yuma sacrifices herself yeah. and she's high as fuck. Yeah, she died the way that she lived. As a like a lifelong Trekkie, I was sideswiped that. I mean, I was already engaged in Yuma as a character and that, sa- that self-sacrifice. But as somebody who um, watches Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, I just was not expecting Spock's end moment to be replicated here with Yuma. And it is... Like, you know, again, it's like a great page. It's a gorgeous page. It's so well done, but it's so like that, that mixture of sadness and beauty, you know, that bittersweetness, that is saga. I loved how in her final, final moments, Hazel described her as her being a sensualist Mm. that in this time of war, she threw herself completely mm. into beauty, completely into distraction, mm. and that was her rebellious act. Um, I do think it's also important to talk about um, what Hazel said about sa- self-sacrifice. And she said, like, the her grandmother, Clara, taught her that, you know, self-sacrifice is the greatest sacrifice that a, a person can make. And where wherever Hazel is in her life when she's narrating, she says, like, I don't think that's necessarily true. Like that 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 all of the time the self-sacrifice is the the greatest sacrifice, but it is definitely the last sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And also when you think of parenting self-sacrifice is essential to that relationship between child and parent and or parent and child. That's another ongoing theme throughout this comic is like when you have a young person in your realm, you get introduced to all kinds of weirdos. You have to interact with all of these strangers. You have to kind of acquiesce to their life flow. Like you just kind of have to be there to kind of guide and allow it to happen, but you can't really control it. Right. And so there is this like submissive aspect to being a parent and parenting and, you know, another person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Hazel later says like, here's the secret about most sacrifices. There's nothing selfless about them at all. So in becoming parents, Marco and Alana and even Dango have an expectation that what they are doing is going to reward them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in some way. Like she says like, you know, the ancient Aztecs didn't sacrifice virgins without the expectation that God was going to give them something. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that um, Marco and Alana 
are counting on their something and Dango is avenging his something. Well, that something for Marco and Alana is Hazel. And I, I think that has been a realization over the course of these five volumes. I think it is in volume five where they truly realize that they are here to help Hazel. And in creating and putting Hazel on this planet and steering her path and protecting her, they are receiving um, a level of, I, I want to say a level of love, but it's not even necessarily like Hazel's love. It's like a, they're receiving a level of connectiveness to the universe, to I the think. universe that they did not understand until they became parents. And parallel to that, like, uh, Hazel has this tremendous value to her parents, but Hazel has this tremendous value to the war effort. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. She's being used. Um, we get introduced to the last rebellion, right. thanks to Dango going like, I'm going to call in to this other group and see what they can do with Hazel. And she's being used as a bargaining chip yep. to get... Um, uh, prisoners out of the prisons of Reef. Like, right. so she's being, so she has a, a, a value of a number of human lives. One baby life for this hundred, you know, rebel lives yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And she could also represent even more to those government factions. Mm -hmm, that are trying to cover up her existence. Yes. But none of those things, none of those amounts of values, a hundred lives of prisoners or the life of one parent's child is equal to Hazel's entitlement to herself, mm. to be her own person. And I think that that's what we're building up to. Her parents yeah. sacrificing their vision of what they think parenting is going to be so that Hazel can have her one life that she is entitled to that they owe her by bringing her into existence. And that's ultimately what we are reading. You know, we fall in love with Marco and Alana because they are the central figures of this storyline, but they are characters being told from Hazel's point of view. And it is her story. We are reading Hazel's story. And sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I'm mad at that yes. because all I want to see is Marco and Alana yes. happy together in the same place. Yes. But of course, Hazel is always there going like, only I know the future. This story is about me. This is my origin story. And you just, and we have our own grief there of how, how we have to give up what we believe this story should be right. so that we can experience the story right. as it is. And yeah. Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples at every turn, like whenever you fall in love with a character, oh, you like the brand? Well, we're going to bite her in half. Uh, <laughs> oh, you like Goose? Well, you know what? Goose, we can't trust that he's going to survive. Uh, everyone is on the chopping block except for maybe Hazel, unless this is- Though a, she could be like an Isabel where yeah, she died on Cleave and now she's a spirit. Yeah, that's true. Uh, boy, boy, that that would be a lot for me to take in. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, uh, are we ready to go to yeah. like the end of this volume? I think so. So this volume ends with Marco in full on, I'm- committing to violence Battle mode. mode. He's tooled up. 
And um, they crash onto the snowy planet um, where Hazel is and Frendo is and Alana is. And Prince Robot 4 is gravely injured. And Goose is like, I think Prince Robot 4 is going to die. And Marco is like, I don't care. My daughter is out there somewhere. And he has his shield and he has his sword and he has this determined, violent expression. And he finds Alana and she's standing over Dango holding a gun and he is shocked to see her and is like and and she, and she goes like Marco it's so good to see you i want to kill this guy because it will feel good to me and because i want to because he endangered my daughter and Marco says but you're not going to do that. And she goes, why? And he says, because we're better than that. That's not who we are. So the second that he is reunited with Alana, he is reminded of the man he wants to be. That violent, that violent um, monster. monster that he just kind of submitted to. He just fell into it like like a, like a comfortable pair of shoes. Like, I got to put something on my feet, so I'm just, I guess I'm going to cover my feet in trash. Right. You know, like, he, he put that aside right away to go, like, I'm with my family. I need to be the best version of myself. I, I need to be the, the man I strive to be. It's such a beautiful moment that is then almost immediately undercut by Prince Robot 4 showing up and blasting a hole through Dengo's face. Yeah, so he does die anyway. So it's kind of like having your cake and eating it too. I, like, <laughs> I, 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 I also got very emotional reading that sequence the first time. And I was so happy because I thought, oh, this would be really interesting to fold Dengo into their crew. Like, what would those stories look like going forward? How could they help Dengo on his journey? And then to see Prince Robot 4 unleash his rage, mm-hmm. you know, because he does not have that familial wall stopping him. Uh, from murdering Dengo, from killing Dengo. Dengo does try to have his moment. He yeah. goes like, yeah. I took your son because you took my son. Yeah. This is a picture on my face of my son, Yoakum. He had special needs and you could have saved him. And uh, Prince Robot 4 says, fascinating. He connects with it intellectually, but he refuses to connect to it emotionally. That empathy is just not there. Yeah, I don't even know if he connects to it intellectually. Like, I feel like when Dengo is chatting to Prince Robot, where Prince Robot is on his journey is just white noise. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why he ends Dengo's life. Um, And it's... Dengo did kill his wife. No, Dengo, like, yeah, Dengo's not a good guy. But what I love about Saga is that there are no real good people and there are people that are introduced and you fall in love with these characters and you think these characters are really cool characters and yeah, they do some bad things here and there, but you know, they're not 
not going to do anything that is irredeemable. But Brian K. Vaughn shows that characters you like will do irredeemable things. And Prince Robot 4 started out as, quote unquote, a bad guy. And then you kind of figure out like, oh, well, this is his relationship with his family. And this is how he was raised in this conflict and blah, 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 blah. And he's got a son. And, uh, and every character is told with uh, empathy. Mm -hmm. And he, like at, at any point in this comic, you side with that person. Like at, at, a, at a point I'm with Dengo, at a point I'm not with Dengo. Dango does feel redeemable throughout this comic because of his connection to Olana mm -hmm. and him connecting to Hazel. He he seems to have a, a respect and a love for Hazel. But I think what this comic shows is that every character here has an opportunity for redemption. Right. And, uh, you know, Marco finds his redemption in Alana and Hazel in that moment. And I think, uh, you know, possibly as we go forward in this comic book, we will find ways to further understand Prince Robot 4 and his story. We might forgive Prince Robot 4 for some of the things that he does. And we might not. I think part of... Like, one of the themes of this comic is just the idea of othering. Yes. And, like, I think the reason why Prince Robot 4 could not connect to Dango yes. as we are two fathers is because of that caste system. He was so of, far otherized. Like he's he goes like, than. well, I'm a color TV and you're a black and white TV. Yeah. Therefore your love for your son is fascinating where my love for my son is value. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And have we met Prince Robot for his father? We have, right? I think, yes, With his have. widescreen, flat screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And this comic has the audacity to end with Hazel not reunited with Marco and Alana. She has been officially kidnapped and removed from her parents. And she is in some kind of daycare. Yeah, that's also a prison. It's 100% a prison because she's like behind <laughs> bars and stuff. But yeah. it does look like a classroom and she is wearing a pineapple sweater. Yep, yep, yep. But yeah, prison. Yeah. So I think, Lisa, we're done with volume five. We have to put a pin in it to be continued until the next episode where we pick back up with Saga volume six. But we got to talk about what have we learned about Marco and Alana and their relationship in this volume? What have we learned with our about our relationship with sadness? And what have we learned about ourselves? What are we going to apply to our own life and relationship? For me, Marco and Alana's relationship kind of underscores something that we learned from Dr. Stan Tatkin and Wired for Dating. Oh, interesting. Where a couple, two people, is the smallest unit mm -hmm. of a community mm -hmm. and a two-person community relies on each other. And um, from the sadness point of view, having... Um, Helen Russell and how to be sad at front of mind, like part of the thing that you kind of owe to the other person in your two person community that you're in a couple with, you're in a relationship with is you are there to help them process their sadness uh -huh, uh -huh. where you are there to be a receiver of their sadness and they are a resource for you to um, 
satisfy that human connection. I think sometimes like like we experience we experience a bad emotion, a sadness or an irritability and the first I think that sometimes my first inclination is like to hyper focus on it inside my brain Mm -hmm. and go like, what is wrong with me that I am having this emotion? Like Mm -hmm. what is the, what, what is the dysfunction that is making me feel this thing? And I, I think that because of my history with anxiety and depression, I do tend to like try to diagnose my emotions like like they are the problem. Yeah. Where and, and I do sometimes fear that like if I'm having a bad emotion like at, like I might experience some kind of like backlash from like kind of expressing it from your partner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked about that in the past. And this was something that uh, I I was going to ask whether Helen Russell addresses this in any way in her book, How to Be Sad. But when you do share that sadness with your partner, especially if it's a a really intense sadness, it can, you know, as as a partner, it colors your own mood. Like Mm -hmm. if Lisa's having a real sad day, you can darn well bet that Brad is going to then absorb that sadness and have a sad day. And the challenge becomes accepting and sharing that sadness and not letting it get the better of you. Uh, to me, like, that's not even, like that's not even like the right language I want to use. Like we've only just started this journey with sadness, but I think part of what bothers the both of us is we are both people <laughs> who value ourselves based on our productivity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I read something today? Have I written something today? What have, have I accomplished? What have I accomplished? And I think that sometimes when we feel an emotion slowing us down, we get resentful of the emotion. <laughs> or God forbid the other person is What's accomplishing an something oh. and you're not <laughs> accomplishing something. Yeah, that also like my competitive streak when I when I'm having an emotion is just like really ugly. It swings both ways. It swings both ways, but oh man. So I I am hoping like I am ready to depend on you for your sadness, for my sadness, and I am going to feel honored the next time you offer some of your sadness to me. I know that it is my privilege to get mm. to help you with that, but I, I'm i definitely going to need some more strategies. Mm. Um, because, like, to me, all, all we've covered thus far is, like, well, here are the things that you shouldn't do. You shouldn't you know, watch TikTok for 90 minutes, <laughs> you know, which is one of our f- growing favorite couple activities. Mm-hmm, <laughs> or mm-hmm. like... Um, skip, skip, skip any back. Or, you know, we both like that obsession with productivity. We both like to overschedule. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. Are we overscheduling because of sadness? I don't know. Did we do five guest spots on other podcasts? Uh, yes. yes, we did. <laughs> um, so, like, just like we're just on the beginning of our journey with Marco and Alana, we're just on the beginning of our journey with um, Helen Russell. But I, it was edifying to me to see Marco 
return in an instant yes. to his ideals the second he was put in context of his family. So, like, my big takeaway from this volume is witnessing how Marco and Alana are better people when they are together and they recognize the love that they have for the other person. And there was a barrier going on in volume four. Like they weren't seeing each other and the gift that each other was for themselves Mm -hmm. and being separated with this mission, with their child robbed from them uh, and having to race towards each other. And when they are finally reunited and Marco realizes in that instant that he needs to be better than he is because he can't let his wife become what he's afraid that he is. Mm -hmm. I totally understand that. But I also like to think of it even from a more macro point of view and how we all need each other Mm -hmm. and what Saga does so well. And, this volume, we we haven't talked about Sophie and Gwendolyn really at all and the adventure that they are going on to get that dragon splooge to save the will. And in doing that, they lose the brand. The sister dies for the brother. And, and just seeing all the sacrifice that we're all doing for each other and also the uh, violence that we are committing on the people that we have otherized, I, I like, it, uh, this just makes me so much more of a... Um, uh, like a humanitarian. Like, I don't want to get cheesy. It does make you wonder how much different the, like, landfall would be. Let's keep it, like, hypothetical. Mm-hmm. If they, they instead of going into their raging parties and their, video games. and their video games, just as a nation went, like, hey, we're really sad. It's hard to de-otherize somebody Mm -hmm. when your culture has otherized them, when your parents have otherized them, when your grandparents have otherized them. Like breaking the cycle of otherization is, I mean, you know. It's a continuous effort. It's a continuous, yeah, it's a a never-ending battle. Mm -hmm. Um, But you look at all these people working together, you know, Goose and Yuma and Prince Robot 4, like they shouldn't be in the same room, and yet here they are, and they are making it work, kind of. <laughs> they, I don't are, know. they did meet their, if if uh, we're judging them by their hashtag goals, like <laughs> they did do it. They did like, do it. They yeah. were, were reunited for a second. Um, and the other thing is with sadness, just recognizing that, you know, sadness is an essential experience, you know, having this conversation around Helen Russell and having to like reinforce the idea that sadness is not a bad thing. Sadness is not necessarily the other side of the coin to happiness, Mm -hmm. right? That, 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 that they both have value and that we are all going through both experiences. And they both need their space. Like, Like they both need their time. I do like how, Looking at Marco and Alana through the lens of sadness kind of forgives them for some of their codependency. Because, like, mm-hmm, I would love mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. think yeah, yeah. that if I was separated from you, I would still be my ideal self. Not that I'm saying that I'm my ideal self, but I would <laughs> still be creative. I would still be yeah, I don't striving know. to be outgoing. And, you know, if like. If you disappeared on me, I like. 
Like I don't know. But, you know, I think that we sometimes go like, you know, as Americans, we go like, you should be able to stand on your own two feet and support yourself and all of this stuff. And I think that Marco, like, like, and we might think that looking at Marco, like, he needs Alana to not be a terrible person, to not be a murderer. Like, is he strong enough? Yeah. Like, but then going from the context of where he came from, where the violence that he was born into, like the fact that um, Alana, like, like he, that we shouldn't devalue what he's accomplished just because he depends on someone else. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. where before we would go like, well, he's codependent. Like we're all codependent. Yeah. Yeah. We're all codependent. I love that. Put that on a comic book couples counseling t-shirt. We need t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someday, someday. Uh, yeah. Saga. Uh, this is my third time reading this particular storyline. And I got to say, like with every reread of Saga, it becomes one of my favorite comics. It just keeps cranking up. Like, is it in my top 10 favorite comics of all time? I, mean, I think it is at this point. For me, reading Saga for the first time, oh, I am right. sick of Brad <laughs> lording it over me that he's all caught up when the whole reason I didn't keep reading was for our podcast. But the foreshadowing, Lisa. <laughs> we're in session. We're in session. Well, well we're, now we're not. Now, now we're not. not. We're leaving session. We're leaving session. So, yes, if you don't know, next week will be Saga Volume 6. We are also putting out a spoiler-free advanced review of Matt Reeves's The Batman uh, that is in our Patreon feed as you are listening to this. Or actually, it will be as of 12 noon Monday. Because that's when the embargo that's ends. That's when the embargo ends. We have also been doing a lot of guest spots. I'll have links in the show notes to all those guest episodes. We were on the Comics Collective talking sex criminals. We were on WQ&A talking about ourselves. Ooh. And answering a Q&A about ourselves. We were on the Oblivion Bar podcast talking about the best comic book couples, their Valentine's Day episode, their episode 69, Lisa. What an honor that they hear 69 and they think of us. That's right. That's right. And, <laughs> Don't uh, think of us. I did a guest stint on the Missing Frames podcast talking to Sean Eastridge and Aaron Prescott about Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Go seek all that stuff out. Lisa, Lisa, you launched a new column at comicsbookcase.com. Yes, it is called YA Free Period. The very first uh, column came out. It is about Tiny Dancer by Sienna and Mark Siegel. And I connect her journey of giving up on her dreams to be a ballerina to my journey giving up my dreams being an opera singer or whatever. It's a great article, it's Lisa. It's super personal. Um, I, like, I still feel like um, I am not, I haven't fully embraced the tiny singer that uh -huh. is inside myself, but I, I think that um, writing that column 
is progress. It was a very vulnerable action on your part. And you you could sense that vulnerability in the reading of it. Mark Siegel actually tweeted something very lovely to Lisa saying that the review brought him to tears. That's very sweet. So please go visit that article. And Lisa, today we actually went and saw Art Spiegelman speak at the Reston Community Center. And you're going to be doing your next YA uh, free period on that talk. It was so inspirational to hear how he kind of like walked in backwards to writing a a YA classic and having to accept that what he was writing was good for young people. He's such an interesting guy. If you guys ever have an opportunity to listen to him speak, I highly recommend it. And we have two more interviews coming up this week um, in the Patreon feed, but also on comicbookcouplescounseling.com, the website. You can read it there. We have one with Jarrett Kroska talking about The Lunch Lady and one with Cheris Chen talking about Radiant Red Number 1. Both conversations were really, really lovely. Both comic books are fascinating. Very excited to have them on the podcast. We have been very productive, yes. which probably yes. means that we are stuffing some very deep sadness right, right, that we right, can't right. avoid. But I feel great <laughs> being too. back in a season of couple sessions with Marco and Alana. Three more episodes to go in our saga run. We are going to be caught up with the single issues. That's a little scary and exciting. So, yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us. Please share this episode if you enjoyed it. Send it to your friends. Send it to your family. Send it to the, your neighbors who you don't know and get to know them through <laughs> comicbookcouplescounseling.com. Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> Got to get those clicks, Lisa. And speaking of clicks, uh, you heard at the beginning of this episode an ad for Must Love Dragons from Tangent Artists and Monica Marrier. Monica Marrier, our sister-in-law. That's right. She married my bro and parented my nibblings. Yeah, and she's got a new book out. She's an amazing, creative, inspired writer, artist, awesome person. All those things. And she has a Kickstarter that if you like weird fantasy comedy, you're going to want to back this. So there's a link in the show notes. Head on over to Kickstarter. Give it a look-see. See if it's for you. And if it is, throw some uh, coins jingle, away. Jingle. Yeah, some jingle jangle. Okay, Brad. Uh, uh, we got to wrap this up because I am running late for my D. Oswald heist book club. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's called Rosé and Rebellion. <laughs> Where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? Oh, my goodness. You can send all your words of affirmation to at MouthDork on all social medias. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, 
why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yeah. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. That was very cheery. <laughs> well, I mean, this is all about sadness. Gotta shake it off. Well, since they're meet-cute on the Lanfalian prison compound on Cleve, Marco and Alana have been in full-on crisis. Yeah, to say it mildly Let and quietly. Let me do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that got your goat, did it? It did. It tickles me.